Hi, everyone. This is Wesley Town. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Better Days Season 2. Today's our first Q&A podcast. We're going to do a Q&A podcast every four podcasts. And I want to thank everyone for sending in questions. The questions were real and thoughtful, and I believe to be helpful for so many people. There's so many questions that were sent in that I'm not going to be able to answer all of them today, but we'll work through all of the questions during season two of Better Days podcast. So let's get started. First question is, dealing with physical pain and not being able to see life without it or cure anytime soon. I want to first say, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. Chronic pain is challenging on so many levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually challenging. I think this is such a relevant question. I actually think about this type of person Every single time I speak on mental health and suffering, my wife's health condition falls into this category long term. So I have had an up close perspective of watching somebody live with long term pain. And I think about Christianity, the space that I've been in. There's a lot of rah rah, pardon me, rah rah hope out there that basically leaves no room for long term pain or suffering. The problem with this type of hope is that it's not reality for so many people like you because millions of people have long-term pain or health issues and they're not going to be fixed or healed on this earth. And so instead of offering people this false reality, this rah-rah hope, we need honest hope. This is what I believe the Bible teaches, that we have humanity, pain, struggles, hardship, health issues, sometimes long-term pain and health issues. But we also have hope for our future. And those two are not exclusive. They're not competing. They come together. Because the reason we need hope is because we have pain. The reason we need hope is because we have humanity and struggle. And so honest hope is really a beautiful thing. I'd like to offer you a few thoughts, and I hope that these are helpful to answer your question. First, it's okay to be human. Life in an imperfect and broken world is hard. So for you, it's okay not to feel okay. It's okay to feel weary at times. It's okay to feel your emotions as you go through this journey. I think of the life of Jesus, particularly the end of his life. He's in a garden outside of the temple in Jerusalem, looking straight at it. And he's praying to circumvent the cross if possible. He's in deep agony. Luke's gospel says he's sweating drops of blood because of the painful emotional stress he's going through. And I think this is a beautiful picture. And I think that it expresses the humanity of Jesus. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And He's going through a very challenging, painful time, and he's not okay about it. So to say that we shouldn't feel the emotions of pain is an unhelpful, uneducated, and erroneous teaching. If Jesus was okay feeling the emotions of pain, then we should. 
And we should encourage people not to suppress it, but to go through it. So I want to tell you, first of all, as you're thinking about processing long-term pain without any cure in sight, it's okay to be human. Secondly, have a healthy perspective. And I think I've seen this watching my wife with serious long-term medical issues. You can't compare your current life with your past life. You can't uh, think about what you have presently uh, in terms of what you used to have. And then you also can't compare your current life with what you envisioned your life to be. If you live in either of those spaces, you're going to constantly be discouraged and defeated. Those aren't your reality. And therefore, you have to learn to accept your circumstances and learn to make the best of the life you presently have. I've watched my wife do this in such a beautiful way as she has felt the uh, difficulties and pain and discouragement of what she's went through long term. She's also learned to accept it. That's the circumstances she faces, and she makes the best of it every single day. Some of those days are more difficult than others, but she keeps getting up. She keeps having purpose, and it's really a beautiful and inspiring and encouraging thing. So it's okay to be human, have a healthy perspective, find purpose. Find purpose in your everyday life. And this is really important as you're going through long-term pain and suffering. Do one thing purposely, purposeful, pardon me, every single day. Utilize who God created you to be in this world. And when you feel up to it, do something you enjoy and that fills up your soul. Be a human and experience life even in the midst of your pain and suffering. And there's another thing that you can do as far as purpose that a lot of people can encourage people in a way that you can only do because of your experience. There's now a part of your story, a new layer to your story that is deeply impactful and relatable to so many people. And so you can encourage people that are hurting or suffering or going through difficult times in a way that really nobody else can. The last thing I would say to you is, Besides, well, actually two more things. Besides, it is okay to be human, have a healthy perspective, find purpose, know your identity. I think for people that go through long-term pain and suffering, it's important to parse out who you are versus your pain. You might say, what do you mean by that, Wesley? Pain is a part of your life. However, pain is not who you are. Don't let people define you by your pain or your suffering. You have pain, but that's not your identity. Keep your identity. Keep who God designed you to be. Keep the layers of what makes you the person you are. So know your identity. And then finally, speak hope. Keep speaking hope into your heart that your life has meaning and purpose, that your pain can make your story impactful and relatable to so many people that God compassionately cares about you and is present to love you and strengthen you as you go through this difficult journey with your pain. And that ultimately, we have hope in God's love and present here and now, presence, pardon me, here and now, 
and in the future when all things are made right and we won't live in sickness, pain, and disease any longer. I hope those things are helpful for you. It's okay to be human, have a healthy perspective, find purpose, know your identity, and speak hope. The next question is this. Someone asked, can you give me advice on learning to forgive those who minimized or belittled my suffering? This is a really great question. And I want to start with a story. There's a story in the Bible of a man named Job. He was actually the most influential person on the face of the earth during his day. He was super successful, had an amazing family and business. And then he faced a number of adversities, trials, suffering. And he lost everything. He lost his success. He lost his influence. He lost his children. He lost his employees. He lost his money. And the majority of this book, the book of Job, is an interaction between him and his friends. And what his friends did to him was really sad and discouraging. And an example of what not to do to somebody in pain. His friends began to blame him, judge him. They were harsh toward him. They weren't compassionate. They didn't allow for him to have messiness and struggle in the midst of his pain. And really, they lacked understanding. It's a hard thing when you're suffering just to suffer. But it makes it even harder when people judge you, minimize your pain, belittle you, lack compassion in the midst of your suffering. Most of the time, when people do these types of things, they're really reacting in relational ignorance. And I want to speak to people who are relating to people in suffering. The last thing someone's suffering needs is more discouragement, more inner turmoil, because our love for them is superficial. When we're doing these things, we're really showing them that our love for them is superficial and that a lot of our reactions are based on our own discomfort. Because we're uncomfortable with the situation. And so we say things, we do things, we interact in ways that are really defeating and discouraging to the person who is facing pain. So we end up exasperating their pain. So I want to say to the person who asked this question, I am so sorry for what you have experienced. And sadly, this type of interaction is far too common. For those who have been belittled or felt like people minimize your suffering, here are a few things you can do moving forward. First, forgiveness instead of bitterness. Bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness are heavy things to carry on our soul. They really burden our soul. It gives the person who did minimize or belittle your suffering or hurt you, it gives that person's actions control over your well-being. And what happens is we are often paralyzed internally from moving forward in a healthy way because of what somebody did to us. So it's okay to feel the hurt. It's okay to feel the pain of somebody and how they interacted in a wrong way. But don't sit there. Don't let your soul become controlled by their action. Don't let your soul be paralyzed internally from moving forward in a healthy way because of somebody's ignorance and wrong interactions towards you. So we can choose forgiveness instead of bitterness. 
Forgiveness releases the burden that we carry when we don't forgive and we're bitter. It forgives the person's ignorance. They didn't know how to interact with you. They're unlearned in this space. They're uncomfortable. They said things they ought not to have said and hurt you. And, and, and it's okay to own that and experience that and realize that. But forgiveness helps you to move forward in a healthy manner. It's really a beautiful thing. The second thing you can do, not only forgiveness instead of bitterness, but communicate and educate people. This is the real crux of our society today, because we live in a society where pain, suffering, and dealing with hard things, we really don't touch this space. We don't develop it. We don't cultivate people in it. And so there is a lot of ignorance. Because you've been through it and you've experienced these things, you have the opportunity to communicate and educate people of how to relate to people who are suffering. Things like your presence is more important than your words. Understanding what you're going through or what a person is going through is more important than answers. Commitment to the person in the process of going through pain and suffering is far better than distancing yourself because it does not benefit you. And it's okay not to fully understand another person's pain or suffering. You teach people that because suffering is hard for the person experiencing it to understand. Sometimes there's just this maze and meandering of confusion on the journey that you don't even understand. So You've got to educate people that it's okay not to fully understand because people that are suffering don't always fully understand. And then two foundational things that you can communicate and educate people on that I think about all the time are love and kindness. Every person suffering, every person dealing with hard issues in life needs love, true, genuine, authentic, real love and kindness, thoughtful kindness thoughtful words, thoughtful actions, thoughtful interactions of kindness. So thank you for that question. I hope that helped. Another person asked this, if your spouse suffers from mental health issues, how should one be supportive? Wow, such a relevant and important question. First, again, for the both of you, I'm so sorry for what you both are going through. Mental health struggles are challenging confusing and painful. No person wakes up one day and says, I want to have anxiety, depression, or a mental health condition. That's just not what somebody desires or asks for in life. So don't think a person is choosing anxiety or choosing depression or choosing a mental health condition. Here are a few tips to help you to be supportive. And I hope that this is helpful in your situation. First of all, Relate to suffering well. We live in a secular culture that has taught us that suffering should not be a part of our lives or that suffering has no purpose or redemptive value. And because of this, people in our culture either suppress their pain or they look to quit, they look for quick fixes. And so when we're interacting with people, dealing with mental health, we either don't want to talk about it, that's suppressing the reality of it, or we want to fix them. Or we want to blame them like they're choosing that. And like I said, nobody wakes up and chooses depression or anxiety. So in our relationships, we often don't talk about it, work through it together. We try to fix the person 
And all of those reactions and responses aren't healthy. So we need to learn to relate to suffering well. We also need to learn to treat our spouse as well. Your spouse needs genuine love, genuine compassion, and a real heart to understand what they're going through and to sit in their space. There's a beautiful thing called empathetic learning where you begin to learn what people are going through from their vantage point. So try to understand your spouse's struggle and pain from their point of view. Enter into what he or she is going through rather than trying to uh, find a quick fix or shutting down the conversation because you're uncomfortable with the pain. Show kindness, be intentional, and be thoughtful in caring and loving your spouse well. So relate to the suffering well, treat your spouse well. Then the third thing that I would say as far as a tip is you both need grace. Show your spouse a lot of grace. Why? Because suffering is hard and messy. Be patient with your spouse. It is a hard road to travel. And then a lot of people don't understand this or think about this. Show yourself grace. You will love her, but you're going to do it imperfectly. You're going to fail. You're going to learn and you're going to grow in this along the way. So make sure to know that you will not be perfect in the process, but definitely keep pursuing growth and development in how to be supportive with her. And then finally, just know that hard stuff is hard. What your spouse is going through is hard. And what you are going through is hard. All suffering poses unique challenges on a relationship, particularly as you're talking about a marriage relationship. And it's okay. But hard stuff can also change us in such a deep, good, and transformative way. And so as you're going through this and as you're relating to your spouse, you're going to be changed and you have the opportunity to be changed in deep, good and transformative ways. How you look at your relationship, how you see hurting people, how you uh, learn to interact with hurting people, how your heart softens and changes uh, with love and grace and compassion um, in the midst of going through this situation personally. And so how, how can you encourage her? You do this in a thoughtful and loving way or him. How can you encourage your spouse? You thoughtfully and lovingly encourage your spouse as, this is really important, you love them and listen to them and learn about what they're going through. So I hope those are helpful for you. Another person asked this question. I get a lot of workload stress from school and deadlines. I'm wondering what might help. What a good question. Students' um, relationship with mental health issues and stress uh, is at an all-time high. So this is a really relevant question. Here's my answer. Some stress in life is normal. Being in school and having deadlines and feeling the pressure of meeting those deadlines is a normal stress. Students get into an unhealthy stress cycle when they don't practice stress management or have unhealthy lifestyles. So here are some stress management tips, lifestyle tips to help you uh, work through your stress in a healthy way. First is, as a student, organize your schedule and deadlines. I know, I remember being in college and graduate school. Some people, they live their life in chaos and disorganization. 
That's not going to help your stress as a student. So organize your schedule and deadlines. Work ahead instead of procrastinating. Don't wait to the last minute to write that paper, study for that test. Work on those things incrementally. I remember my uncle giving me some tips uh, before I went into college. He's a doctor. And he said, I always was working ahead. I was always working ahead on that test, on that paper, memorizing what I needed for the final. And so by the time it came to the due dates or the test, I was prepared and ready. And I practiced that. And it really helped me to be successful in school. So work ahead instead of procrastinate. Exercise. You got to take care of your health. You got to take care of your body. Exercise actually is a stress reliever. And so learning to exercise on a consistent basis will help in stress management. Eat healthy meals for your body and your brain. Most people don't know this, but the food that you eat, right, will affect your body and your brain. The lighting in your gut is your second brain. And so the food you eat affects your mental health and affects your brain. Have healthy sleep patterns. You're like, but I'm always studying or writing a paper or what have you. Well, here's what I did when I was in college. I did all my homework in between classes. So I, I used all that space to, to study, write papers, do homework. I did homework during lunch. And I did homework before my basketball practice because I played college basketball. So most of my studying, my homework, my papers, um, I finished before I got home at night. Now, sometimes, obviously, I had to work on something from home or I had to work on something um, at night for a test or finish a paper. But on a consistent basis, I tried to use all the time, all the in-between times or before times to, to be proactive so that I could have some healthy lifestyles and patterns so I could go to bed at a healthy time at night. And my final stress management tip for you is to keep your soul healthy. Pray instead of being consumed by worry. Find pockets of rest instead of taxing yourself to the point of ineffectiveness. Stay positive instead of pessimistic and uh, having a lot of negative self-talk. I'm going to fail. I'm going to do terrible. Uh, this is too much. Uh, stay positive. And then make sure God is a priority in your life. I think when we're talking about stress management, if we're trying to live life and carry all of life on our own, and we've deleted God from our life and rhythms, I think that we are going to end up carrying a lot of stress and a heavy load that we weren't meant to carry. I think God wants to help us. He wants to help carry the heavy weights of stress and burdens in our life. And so as you're going through college, make sure God's a priority in your life. Again, I hope those were helpful. Another person asked this question. Is depression different from the theological concept, the dark night of the soul? Some of you may be unfamiliar with that language, that concept. I think what Christians call the dark night of the soul is essentially depression. Maybe a unique subcategory of depression that deals with deep discouragement of the soul around spiritual struggles. But there's this, there's a few verses in the Bible uh, in 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote them. Paul was an apostle, started a lot of the churches in the Roman world in the first century, and he talked about the internal challenges he faced, but he also talked about the resilience he had in light of those challenges. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, these words, 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. I really love those words because those words are relatable. This was a real experience of depression that Paul faced, but this was not a fatal experience. And that's really important, especially if you're dealing with depression. The struggle is real and the struggle is hard, but we have the opportunity to to persevere in the struggle. There is profound beauty that develops in our lives as people who go through hard situations and challenges in life because we persevere, because we keep going and we don't give up and we don't lose hope. I I think this is one of the things that our secular society has missed about suffering. No person on earth would choose suffering. But when we go through suffering, it can have this transformative effect on our life and be redeemed and really create some beautiful things in our character, in our relationships, in our perspective of what's important and real in life, in our priorities. And so as we go through these things, don't give up, don't lose hope. And know that you are loved, your life has meaning, and your story will impact so many lives, but keep going. Don't quit now because the depression may be real, but it's not fatal. It it, it may be a, a prominent part of your life, but there's light in your future. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a brighter day ahead. There's a better day in your future. And then the final question is this. Somebody commented, and I thought this was really important to bring up and kind of elaborate on. I have not heard people talk about mental health in a church setting. I am so glad somebody sent me in this comment. And I'm so glad somebody thought about this and brought it up. Because this, one fifth of people in America have a mental health condition. The highest percentage of mental health conditions and struggles in America are amongst Gen Z and millennials, the two youngest generations. Beyond that, more than 50% of people who walk into a church on Sunday are suffering in some form or the other. That means that probably between 50 to maybe 75% of people sitting in churches on a Sunday are dealing with mental health and suffering. We live in a broken world, which includes the brokenness that affects our minds, our emotions, our relationships, and has caused a disconnect between us and God. But that's where we are thankful for Jesus because Jesus wants to reconnect us into a relationship with God. Why would we be silent about something that is so prominent amongst our population. Here's the thing. If we don't give answers, a helpful pathway, a good theology, a great perspective of how God cares and interacts with people that are dealing with mental health and suffering, who's going to? 
This is why I'm so passionate to be a voice in this space. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about being human in a broken world. Things like anxiety, depression, suffering, pain, grief, all of these things and more the Bible discusses in depth. The Bible also offers us foundational answers. Help, hope, meaning, identity, and a relationship with a God who is present and cares deeply about our brokenness. This is why it's important for us to bring this discussion into the forefront of Christianity. I feel so internally inspired to educate Christians and the church, to bring awareness inside and outside of Christianity, to build a theology that reflects Jesus and is rooted in scripture around the subjects of suffering and mental health, to talk about real human life and experiences that we face in a broken world and not minimize those things or be silent about them, and to encourage people and give them hope because the majority of people in churches every Sunday are suffering. So my encouragement to everyone listening is let's change this silence in our churches. This is why I have been working on seminars on mental health and suffering to teach people in churches and to train church leaders around these subjects, because I think it's so relevant and so important and something that we really need to build up and elaborate on and discuss openly in churches today. Well, I answered a number of questions. I did not get to all of them, but I hope these answers were helpful as far as helping you to navigate through what you're going through. I love all of you. Can't wait for next week. We've got some great interviews coming up as well. I'm mixing in um, episodes of uh, monologue, dialogue, and Q&A episodes to, to try to help us in different ways and to keep this discussion alive. So look forward to some really good interviews that I'm having uh, in upcoming episodes with experts around uh, particular areas or people that have gone through really hard things that I feel like have such an influential story that will encourage you and help you. So can't wait to join you next week. And I thank you for supporting this podcast. There is hope for better days in your life. Much love to you. That's a wrap for today. Thanks again for joining me. This is a new podcast and I would love for your help to spread the word to bring hope for better days to as many people as possible. You can send a link to your family and friends, post something on your social media, and write a review on iTunes. Thanks for your support. I can't wait to join with you next Tuesday for another episode of Better Days.